0: we got a Bible, uh, get it to the Gospel of Luke, open it up to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 19. Today we begin a new series called uh, Jesus Endings and Beginnings. We are looking at Luke 19 through 24. This will take us through the end of April and Easter. This is our third installment of a long time journey through the Gospel of Luke. Luke is the most thorough of the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, giving us a, a thorough look at the birth life death and resurrection of jesus christ our lord and savior we began this in december of 2019 i know that feels especially with all things the last couple years it feels like 10 years ago but uh, we began this in uh, christmas season of 2019 it took much of 2020 and 2021 with some extended breaks in there so at the end of this lord willing uh in april we will have spent a little over 80 weeks in the gospel of luke so high fives all around you're almost there and uh, I pray that this has been a helpful series to get us an extended, a thorough look at about who Jesus is. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who we are seeking to be- become more and more devoted to, where, who has our allegiance, who has our affection, our heart. So from basically January of, uh, of last year to August of last year, we were preaching through Luke 9 through 19. And those chapters give the account of Jesus slowly and steadfastly walking toward, journeying toward Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is where the final days of his earthly life will take place. That section begins in Luke nine fifty one, which says, when the days were coming to a close for him to be taken up, he determined to journey to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is where his final days will be lived out. The arrest, the beatings, the crucifixion, and then the resurrection on Easter morning. So today we pick that story, pick the story up back in Luke 19, where Jesus is now at the edge of Jerusalem. Crucifixion is less than a week away. The enemy will appear to get the upper hand in the coming days, and all, but all the steps that Jesus has taken, will take in the upcoming chapters, will be providentially ordered, We'll be spending, Lord willing, about 15 upcoming Sundays taking us through Luke 19 through 24, reading the accounts of the words and life of Jesus. I pray that as we do, we get a growing understanding about who Christ is. Today, the passage that we're looking at, we see the humility and the heart of Jesus Christ, who is most certainly Lord over all. We'll see that not only today, but in the coming Fifteen weeks of this final leg of the journey through Luke. Today we're looking at verses twenty-eight through forty-four, and it, and Jesus says this at the end of forty-four. He says that the people of Jerusalem that they did not recognize the time when God visited them. They didn't recognize Jesus for who He was, who He is, the Messiah of the men and Messiah of, of men and women throughout history, from every tongue, tribe, and nation, the Savior of humanity. Do you recognize Him? Do you recognize Him? Because if you recognize Jesus Christ, meaning acknowledging Him as Lord and Savior, your daily life will reflect that belief, that recognition. I pray that we would see Him for who He is and respond in faith and trust. The story that is told here in Luke 19 of Jesus entering Jerusalem is told in all four Gospels, Matthew 21, Mark 11, and John 12. This is what's known as Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter on our calendars, given that name, Palm Sunday, that even though Luke does not include this detail, the, the detail of the crowd waving the palm branches as Jesus entered. So verse 28, when he, Jesus, had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. So since Luke nine fifty-one, the face of Jesus has been set toward Jerusalem. And all that will take place there, all that will be detailed in Luke 19 through 24, he knows what is ahead. He always has. He's Lord. And he just keeps walking steadfastly toward what is next. He has a mission to accomplish. His mission is to seek and save that which is lost. And salvation for the lost can't be accomplished unless Jesus lays down his life upon that cross. Sin must be atoned for, it must be. Covered, otherwise, the penalty of sin is still ours to bear. So, as verse 28 says, Jesus went on ahead, knowing what is ahead. None of what transpires in the next week will surprise him. He's ordaining the steps that he is taking for the good of others, including you and I. He knows the path toward a glorious, powerful, history changing resurrection first. That path first goes through the humble, painful, brutal suffering upon a cross on Good Friday. Verses 29 through 31, as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples and said, go into the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it if anyone asks you why, you, why are you untying it? Say this, the Lord needs it. So these two towns are east of Jerusalem. He sends two disciples ahead to go get a donkey and bring it back to him. What I want us to see is Jesus knows all the details already. He doesn't say, hey, can you go try to find me a ride? Can you go try to find an animal in some place around here? He knows where the colt will be, that it's never been ridden. It's going to be tied up. That someone's going to ask them, why are you untying that animal? He knows it all. He even tells them the reply they are to give to the person when they say, why are you untying that animal? All he's asked his disciples to do is simply follow. And that's what they do. Because that's what disciples of Jesus do. They listen to the words of Jesus and they follow. They trust him. Verses 32 through 34. So those who were sent left and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? The Lord needs it, they said. And just as Jesus said it would occur, it occurs, because he's Lord. Listen to how Colossians 1, 15 through 17, describes Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions, Or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him, all things hold together. And at the same time, here he is on the east side of Jerusalem, dwelling in the flesh, fully God, fully man, fully in control of all things, including these little details of borrowing a cult. This moment here was a a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, specifically Zechariah 9-9, which Amber began the service with. It says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Written centuries before this moment and now coming to pass. Zechariah predicted that the true king of Israel would come to Jerusalem via a donkey. Now, traditionally, when kings came into cities, they came in riding on mighty horses, war horses, to declare all that they had conquered. But when kings came on a donkey, it meant that they were coming in peace, because Jesus, the king of kings, is approaching Jerusalem as the prophesied prince of peace. Fulfilled prophecy is, is one reason why we can trust the scriptures that sit on our laps right now knowing that they were not concocted by man they were inspired by the spirit of god and they're his living and active words to us relevant for all time jesus has been traveling by foot for most of his life let alone this journey to jerusalem it's not like he needs a ride to finish the trip it's not like he's saying oh guys my my feet are just killing me can you find me a ride he's fulfilling prophecy here and declaring to those watching and those of us reading later, He's saying, I am the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings. Just as the multitude of angels announced His birth in Luke 2.14, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people He favors. Do you recognize Him? Do you acknowledge Him as the only one who could bring peace between us and our Creator God, where our sinfulness, our Our rebellion caused hostility. Jesus is the only one who can bring about peace. The way, the truth, the life It's through faith alone, by grace alone. He is the Prince of Peace, the one where He can destroy the walls of hostility that were there because of our sin and bring about peace and bring us into an adoption with the Father. The donkey's been secured for a one-day rental simply by saying, hey, the Lord needs it. Verse 35, then they brought it to Jesus And after throwing their clothes on the colt, they helped Jesus get on it. I don't know a thing about horses. I know some of you do. I really don't know anything about donkeys. But I do gather that if you've never ridden one before, typically that first time, I bet it doesn't go very well. It doesn't go very well. And yet, here's Jesus, the Lord over creation, including this colt. He calms the storms let alone the cults. Throughout Luke, we've seen the humility of Jesus on display, humility of his, his birth, humility of His life. We see humility here. And throughout the coming weeks, we'll see humility during the Passion Week. And as He approaches the city, we'll see a variety of responses to those who encounter Him. Verses 36 and 37, as He was going along, they were spreading their clothes on the, on the road. Now He came near the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. So the crowd of the disciples, they're giving Jesus the red carpet, the red carpet treatment. The spreading of clothes was this act of homage for royalty. It was a recognition that a, a dignitary was in their presence It was a recognition that they had seen Jesus do miracles and thus they were going to honor Him by laying their clothes upon His path. They had seen Jesus heal the leper, restore sight to the blind, hear hearing to the deaf and strength to the lame. He cast out demons, He walked on water, He calmed storms, He fed thousands with a little bit of bread and fish. His ministry was one of power and thus the people were worshiping Him. And this is an extremely public entrance by Jesus. This is attention-getting. Crowds of people have gathered amidst the days leading up to Passover celebration in Jerusalem. So the the city has has typically the most amount of people it would ever have during a year in this moment. One thing you read early in the Gospels is during his earthly ministry, Jesus would often instruct His disciples or those who He healed, He'd say, now don't tell anybody about this. Don't don't tell them who I am. Don't make it known. And why was that? It's a curious thing when you read it in the Scriptures. He would often say, it wasn't His time yet. Because earlier, it wasn't. It wasn't the providential time in these final days leading up to His death. Now is the providential time for this announcement, this very public announcement. The end of my life is near. He's fulfilling prophecy, riding into the city on the back of a donkey, publicly announcing, I am the true King of Israel. I am the Messiah. I am the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And again, he knows there is a price on his head. In John eleven fifty seven, 57, which falls right before this moment chronologically, it says the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone... Knew where he was, he should report it to, he should report it so that they could arrest him. I would say that people would know where Jesus is after this. And that is by his sovereign design. The Lord Jesus is in control here. He knows arrest is coming. Verse 38: the crowds are shouting: Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. And the people are quoting from Psalm 118, 25, and 26, which says, Lord, save us. Lord, please grant us success. He who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The crowds are calling to Jesus, Save us, save us, grant us success. But they're not talking about salvation from judgment. The crowds are not recognizing him as their savior from sin and wrath. Instead, What they are assuming is that Jesus was there to lead a political revolution and free Jerusalem from Roman occupation. They were hoping for political deliverance and freedom, not spiritual deliverance and freedom. They were assuming Jesus would set up his rule on the throne of David immediately. And when he doesn't deliver for them, the crowds will turn on him, shouting, crucify him hailed as a promised hero on a Sunday, crucified as a criminal on Good Friday of the same week. See, crowds are fickle. Crowds are fickle. And to search for your identity through the ever-changing applause and self-centered praise of others is a trap, loved ones. It's a trap. Live with your identity secure in the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. It changes too much. Try to find your identity and what other people think of you. It changes constantly. It is constant shifting sand. Place it in the cornerstone of Christ. Did Jesus come as a deliverer? You bet. Did he come to establish a kingdom? Of course. But it wouldn't be for temporary political deliverance or temporary earthly kingdoms. Jesus came to deliver sin diseased people from the chains of spiritual slavery. Jesus came to establish a kingdom that would never end and bring people from every tribe, tongue, and nation into His everlasting kingdom where He rules and reigns forever. He came to conquer, but not through force as earthly kings and queens do, but rather to conquer through the fullness of grace and truth. He came to conquer hearts with the gospel of God's grace A gospel that declares that God so loved the world that whoever would believe in Him may not perish but have everlasting and eternal life. Jesus would conquer through His virgin birth. He would conquer through His sinless life. He would conquer by being tempted and yet without sin. He would conquer through His selfless sacrifice on wooden beams. He would conquer through a resurrection on the the third day. And His good news is going out to this day, including here this morning, a call for people to repent and trust in Jesus. As God's people, we put our hope in the gospel for it's the power of God for the salvation of all who would believe, both the Jew and the Gentile. Good news of great joy for all the people. The gospel of Jesus Christ regenerating dead hearts, bringing people alive in Christ. We are kingdom of God people my brothers and sisters. So our lives should never be centered on temporary earthly kingdoms that fall. Our affections, our attention, our prayerfulness has to be around the kingdom of God because we're kingdom of God people. Our ultimate hope is not in man's ability to change man's heart. The entire Old Testament narrative is a narrative to to say that thinking is, is a lie. That thinking is impossible Instead, we trust in the Lord and remain prayerful because He is the one who changes hearts and lives. He is the one who changes households and relationships and generations. Let's not settle to be like the crowds on a Palm Sunday whose focus is simply on the earthly because they are impatient. They haven't set their sights on things above. Let's be kingdom of God people who recognize who Jesus is and trust and live and pray accordingly. Verse 39, some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. So while the crowds are worshiping him, the the Pharisees want Jesus to rebuke his disciples for praising him. This celebration has gone too far in, in their minds. This is inappropriate to them because they don't want to see Jesus praised, which isn't a new response for them. Throughout Luke, we've seen them grumbling The conflict is now certainly escalating. This is a very public display of the worship of the crowds. The worship of Jesus and not themselves is messing with the idolatry of the Pharisees, let alone the man-centered religion of works that they were seeking to keep intact. They are blind to who Jesus is, and as a result, they are unwilling to worship Him. As John 12, 19 records, they see this moment And they say, Look, the world has gone after him. See, Jesus is unwilling to rebuke his disciples for worshiping him because it's right for them to praise him. He is the miracle worker, he is the Messiah, he is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise, adoration, and reverence. So he tells the self righteous, stubborn Pharisees, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, these disciples, the stones would cry out. What does that mean? He's saying even if these disciples don't call out in praise to him, he's still worthy of praise. And creation, for for instance, stones and rocks will cry out in worship. The Lord Jesus is not dependent upon others to make him Lord. The Lord Jesus is not dependent on others to make him worthy of praise. He is Lord. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. He's worthy of praise. He's eternal. All of creation was created through him and for him. So creation praises its creator. Listen to these passages, uh, Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of His hands, Isaiah 55.12, you will indeed go out with joy and be peacefully guided and the mountains and the hills will break into singing before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands, Psalm 96.11 and 12, let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice Let the sea and all that fills it resound. Let the fields and everything in them celebrate. Then all the trees of the forest will shout for joy. Consider the reality this week, what is happening all around us. And yes, he did include fields. It wasn't just mountains and oceans. He did include fields, my fellow Midwesterners. He did. He did include trees. We have trees. He included that. But as you go about your daily lives, the creation that we encounter on a daily basis, when you leave this building, when you encounter your daily life this week, it is shouting for joy for the name of the one who created all things. The flow of praise is always to be from creation toward its creator. So this is why we as created people, we're created people. We were designed to praise God. Him, because we we're made in His image and likeness, fearfully and wonderfully made. So we must not settle for worshiping created things because we're created, so, so we shouldn't look laterally to created things such as money or substances or some societal position because those things aren't worthy of our, our life's utter devotion. Only Jesus is because He is Creator. All of heaven is charged to worship the King of kings, and we, His saved people, are to join in with that life of praise we praise him for his attributes his actions who he is what he's done what he's promised to do in the future and we see that a spirit of self-righteousness and pride that the pharisees had it will most certainly block and hinder a person's praise they don't recognize him and as a result they don't revere him they're missing him because they're obsessed with themselves idolatry has caused them to not acknowledge him loved ones let that not be said of us let us not be so obsessed with ourselves that we miss jesus let us willingly and joyfully welcome jesus the lord his grace and truth into our lives allowing him to disrupt and dismantle our idolatry that we're all prone toward so that our life's praise might be properly directed to Him, so that we might love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In verses 41 through 44, the final ones for today, we see Jesus finishing His approach to the city. Next week, He'll be blowing off some righteous steam in the temple, one of my favorite passages. Today, we see the city. He sees the city as a whole. He sees the people of the city a city that he loves, a people who he loves. Verse 41, as he approached and saw the city, he wept for it, saying, if you knew this day, what would bring peace? But now it's hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you, surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground. And they will not leave one stone on another in your midst, because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. He wept for the city. The original meaning of wept there is sobbing, wailing. This is not just a tear. Jesus Christ is sobbing. Why is the Lord wailing? Because for generation after generation, the people of this city have been missing and not recognizing the prophets of God who were sent to them with a the message of repent and return to the Lord, that only through faith in the Lord, hope and life is found. They've rejected that message generation after generation. They rejected prophet after prophet who was pointing to the one day Messiah to come now that Messiah has come and they're going to reject him as well. He's come to save, but they don't believe they they don't need saving. They can save themselves. He's come to rescue, but they don't they don't need rescue. They can rescue themselves. He's come to heal, but they aren't sick. Other people are sick. They're not sick. The rescuer has been and will be in their midst in the coming days, but they're going to miss him. And Jesus is weeping over their blindness and their rejection. There is sorrow over lost souls. One commentary wrote this, the the cry was that of a frustrated desire. He had visited the city with a desire to deliver it from the things of destruction and with the offers of the things of peace. The spiritual blindness of the rulers and the people was such that they did not discern the meaning of the visitation. The result was inevitable. There could be no escape from the destruction. So while the resistance and the rejection of the people were not a surprise to Jesus, it still grieved him. As John 1.11 says, he came to his own and his own rejected him. His own did not receive him. He knows their hearts will remain hard and judgment is, is theirs. They've sown to the flesh and now they're going to re- reap the consequences of sowing to the flesh. Jerusalem, ironically, means city of peace. Well, the people of the city of peace didn't recognize the prince of peace in their midst destruction is coming their way in the same way that their ancestors were sent into exile one day jerusalem will be surrounded and overrun by enemies reducing the city to rubble the prophecy of jesus will come to pass in 70 ad the romans occupied and destroyed the city and the temple everything is level leveled defeat is total as he approached and saw the city, he wept for it. This is the compassion of your Savior. Judgment and consequences are never enacted with joy, always with grief and sorrow. John 1 tells us a couple times that Jesus came in the fullness of grace and truth and here, as He approaches the city, we see both of these on display. We see the full character of Christ. The sorrow because grace has been rejected. And at the same time, the truth of the prophecy of judgment to come because they've rejected and they will reject Jesus. And that has consequences. Loved ones, do you recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior? He still comes in the fullness of grace and truth. There is a sober, real warning here to those who are resisting the Spirit and rejecting Jesus. And at the same time, there is a Savior that continues to call, call you to trust in Him, to put your faith in Him. A compassionate and gracious Savior who laid down His life, took it back up on the third day so that through faith alone in Him you might receive and experience eternal life and be spared from impending judgment. May the Lord open your eyes to see him for who he truly is. He entered this Palm Sunday on a donkey as the Prince of Peace. One day he will return on a white horse, the faithful and true one. He will return not in peace, but to bring justice, to rule as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But today is the day of salvation. Trust in him today. Give him your life today. Just as Luke 19 records, Jesus continues to move toward the lost knowing some will reject some will receive jesus doesn't turn away from the city he doesn't turn away from the cross why because of love for you because of love for you there's been no one more courageous in all of human history than jesus christ he's always known always known what is ahead for him in Jerusalem, and yet he just keeps walking. Luke eighteen thirty-one through 33 says, Then Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. Everything that is written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished, for he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked, insulted, spit on. And after they flog him, they will kill him, and he will rise on the third day. And all of what Jesus said would occur, occurred. Because he's Lord. While the events of the Passion Week, they seem filled with chaos, the events are out of control, it seems nothing is out of control. Because the Lord was in control and our sovereign Lord is still ruling and reigning. Loved ones, he rose on the third day, nothing and no one is is above him. So may we joyfully bow before him, our way of life bow before him in worshipful worshipful reverence to Him. Father, we love You. Thank You for the Gospel. Thank You for seeing us in our need and rescuing us. I pray for all of us that, Lord, we we confess that there is a, sometimes a, a blindness to our hearts that we are prone to fixate on things of this earth or fixate on ourselves rather than fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. So I pray that you would enable us to worship you well this week, to recognize you for who you you are. Not who you were, but who you are. You are the Lord over all things. Thank you that in the Gospels we see the image of the invisible God on display. I pray we would respond to the fullness of who you are, your grace, your truth, and we would worship you in reverence, in beauty. We would join in creation alongside us to to worship you, our creator, our sustainer, our life giver. We pray this in your name. Amen. Psalm 148 says, Hallelujah. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly armies. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all the shining stars. Praise Him, highest heavens and you, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created, and He set them in position forever and ever. He gave an order that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, all sea monsters and ocean depths, lightning and hail. Snow and cloud, stormy wind that executes his command, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, creatures that crawl and flying birds, king of the earth and all peoples, princes and all the judges of the earth, young men as well as young, young women, old and young together. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty covers heaven and earth. Amen.